welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast, and thank you for joining us today. In this episode, we're speaking with Bowman Day, who is a wildlife photographer and hunter. We talk about the intersection of those two pursuits and what Bowman has learned about hunting from his experience chasing wildlife with a camera. And then we dive deep into a hunt that he got to experience in Teton National Park this past fall. He hunted mountain goats in the park, which we'll hear about. Definitely a unique opportunity and excited to get into the story and background of that hunt with him. As always, guys, we thank you so much for tuning in. If you have anything for us, you can share a question, feedback, anything like that to us via email at podcast at exomountaingear.com. If you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend or consider leaving us a review wherever you're listening to it. That would help us out tremendously. Right now, let's dive right into this conversation with Bowman Day. Well, Bo, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast, man. Excited to chat today. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I'm excited as well. Yeah, this is uh, something I connected with you on about a hunt, which we'll get to. But uh, to kick that off, I mean, we've only exchanged emails here a bit. I only know part of your story myself. So to not only give me more info, but uh, to let listeners know who you are, give us a bit of background context, uh, just kind of personal stuff to begin with, what you do um you know photography and things like that because that's obviously a big part of your life yeah for sure so i uh as you said i do hunting and and wildlife photography as well i kind of am in both of those worlds a little bit um obviously grew up hunting here in utah that's where i'm from so um young age with my dad and brother um that's kind of been our thing together you know all growing up so been hunting forever never really got into photography until um until i got married like six years ago which um you know i wanted to get a camera mainly for like family and kids <laughs> which is ironic because now i just i only ever mainly take my camera out in the woods you know when i'm hunting or, or chasing critters so but yeah that kind of opened up uh, a big world for me and just kind of the hunting industry with photography and, and working with brands um, and it's been awesome. So I've, yeah, I've, you know, um, worked for several different brands just recently with you guys with EXO. Um, you know, you, you were nice enough to kind of get me set up this fall actually, which, um, for a hunt in Alaska, which, you know, was amazing. Um, yeah, other than that, with my background, um, kind of more personally, I've, I, uh, I have three kids and, we just had our, our third a month ago. He's one month old. So um, just at the tail end of hunting season, <laughs> which yeah. is great timing. Um, but yeah, it's been awesome. It's been fun. We're, we're outnumbered now three to three to two. So that's been interesting trying to get in a groove there with family and being outnumbered and kind of finding a routine, but we're, we're figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. I got to get used to the zone defense now. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No man to man. Yeah. So is photography your full-time gig these days? Uh, it's not. No, I, I do have a full-time eight to five or nine to five gig um, yeah. selling uh, software, in fact, here <clears throat> in Utah. So oh, cool. Utah is kind of like the, uh, it's kind of been coined the, the Silicon Slopes, I guess, so to speak. We've got a lot of different tech companies here just in the Lehigh area. That's where I live. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, on the, the day-to-days, I, I, uh, sell property management software which is kind of a random industry but 
been in it for a while and it's it's good it allows me to get out and play and you know it's flexible with with my time it, I you know being in cells it's a little bit of uh, a little bit of leeway in you know when hunting season comes around I can yeah I can take off you know work work hard spring summer and try to you know hit my numbers I guess so to speak yeah <laughs> for sure room, so how much of your wildlife photography intersects with hunting and by that I mean do you get most of your imagery while hunting or are you taking you know obviously separate trips or using other parts of the year that aren't hunting season to then do a lot of the content on the wildlife photography part yeah I think it's mainly separate than hunting obviously I carry my camera as I'm hunting I mean it's added weight always in my pack um, which is fun especially on a pack out if you if you get something but I thoroughly enjoy it but mo mainly on the wildlife side it's i'm going specifically out for you know mountain goats or i want to i want to go find some moose um but but i definitely while i'm hunting you know if i see some animals that i'm not hunting i'll you know make a stock kind of have fun with it and try to get some shots or if it's an animal that maybe i'm not gonna kill like if it's a smaller buck or something you know then then I'll be like, Hey, let's, let's have some fun. Maybe try to get some photos of this guy, even cause I know I'm maybe not gonna, you know, pursue it or try to get a shot of it or something. But mm -hmm. if I am, I I'm not one to like, let's get a shot with camera and then I'll, I'll, you know, <laughs> try with my bow at the same time necessarily. But, but yeah, I, I, I do get, you know, a lot of nature shot, like even just your more nature landscape, mountainy stuff. I mean, hunting, I'm, I'm out in the woods way more so that time of year when it's fall colors and it's you know or snowing and there's always you know pretty a um, morning sunset like with the alpine glow on the peaks or something that i'll i'll be hunting but i'll you know i'll kind of capture that moment too so but that's not necessarily wildlife but yeah i i would say i mainly kind of go out specifically for wildlife um, at other times of the year like i'll take trips up to grand teton or or, or yellowstone you know specific specifically for like grizzly bears or something um mm -hmm. yeah so it's yeah there's a little overlap for sure but yeah it's fun i I do it all all year whereas That's hunting awesome. i can't necessarily do all year what have you learned from wildlife photography that not only has helped you as a hunter but that would benefit maybe obviously the hunters listening just in terms of like little things you pick up from animal behavior or stalking or like those encounters because clearly you're pursuing game as you said year round you're there's so much in common there of trying to close mm -hmm. the distance of trying to capture an undisturbed animal and all that so there's there's crossover between call it the pursuit um of capturing wildlife and photography and then the pursuit of hunting so like yeah. well, how has that intersected or informed things for you yeah that's that's a great point i mean First of all, that's kind of, I think, why I love the wildlife photography side also, because it is so similar to hunting. Um, you're just kind of shooting with a camera instead or, you know, but um, it, there's definitely overlap. I think for me, I've I've learned just a lot about animal behavior kind of that you mentioned um, and just understanding, understanding, you know, whether it be elk or moose or, or deer, just kind of how they how they might interact uh, you know, any time of the year, I think, um, when I'm, 
you know, in the elk woods or in the deer, like, you know, chasing those critters, you just learn so much, just being there, seeing tracks, seeing patterns, uh, what they're doing. Um, and it, it really, yeah, it helps me just kind of learn and understand the animal as a whole, just kind of all year round. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's super helpful. Mm -hmm. Has it made you, do you have like an affinity for a certain animal, whether that's an animal you can or cannot hunt because you're capturing all kinds of wildlife, like some of it's big game you can hunt, some of it's not, but do you have like an affinity for a certain animal after observing them more, spending more time pursuing them, that type of thing? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, and I'd say it's mountain goats. In fact, um, I live just here in Utah, um, kind of the base of the Wasatch mountains. Um, we've got, you know, a few different goat herds that are, um, doing pretty well up here. And I think I enjoy, um, mountain goats just because it is, it's a challenge. It's like super difficult to get up in their range in, you know, where they hang out. Um, so I love kind of following those goats around every year from the early spring when they're, you know, having their kids and they, you know, they have their kids before they're even like grouped up in little nanny, um, you know, nurseries with the nannies and kids. And then, you know, when they start grouping up and the billies are separate, um, and then all year until, you know, fall and late, late fall, when they start getting their shaggy coats and moving off, off the tops to their winter range. I think it's, I think the affinity I have for goats is just, just the challenge and getting to them. And, uh, I mean, I I've sat like, you know, in a herd of goats and I'm like five feet from one land down, you know, even just recently, a couple of weeks ago, I went, I went out early morning my trips lately have just been early mornings and be back by lunch with having a newborn, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but yeah, just, I, I got in, I found this herd and they kind of just let me into their world. And I, yeah, I was just, you know, within feet of, of a lot of them. And I just think they're super rad animals. They're so like rugged and they just, the, this uh, cliffy terrain that they live in is just like, unlike anything else. Right. It's just, it's almost scary trying to get into them a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, playing it safe and not putting any yourself at risk, but that's kind of just the na the nature of goats too. So I think, I think that's why I, I'm attracted to, to them in particular. Um, it's, you know, it's been a dream of mine too, to like hunt goats. Um, so yeah, it's, I'd say mountain goats. There's other animals that are up there too, but that's probably the first one that comes to mind for me. Yeah, that's cool. Well, that's a hunt we're going to talk about here in a bit and i didn't even know that that was going to be your answer kind of a cool segue before we yeah, get to the no, hunt <laughs> yeah before we get to that hunt um going back to the intersection like even you here and hearing you be feet from those goats are you taking specific like you know when i think of goats specifically i mean you'll see some guys especially when they're bow hunting them and especially at certain times of the year where there's most more snow you know put on whites or like a an mm -hmm. over covering of white like is camouflage concealment like whether it's for goats or not just in general like how much of that is part of your strategy as a photographer yeah um <clears throat> it does totally depend on the animal i'm kind of pursuing for goats the camo is is much less important i feel um i have intentionally brought a white t-shirt especially if i'm a little ways out and they notice me because i've 
you know, I've been up in, in goat country where they, they see you like 200 yards away and they immediately move up the cliffs into area. You can't get to them. Um, and so I've, I've kind of found if you kind of let them see you early and, and you have white, um, then they're like, they're very chill, um, which is kind of interesting. And then I kind of just, I, as I kind of make slowly kind of my way closer into the, into them, um, then they're much less prone to just kind of having nothing to do with me and they, they get comfortable. Um, but then I don't, I don't necessarily need the white at that point. They know, you know, I'm not, I'm not a threat or I'm not there or I'm not a goat. You know, they know I'm not a goat at that point if I'm closer. Um, but for other animals, um, camo for me is like a big deal. Like if I'm chasing elk in the rut or mule deer in national parks, it's less so because there's definitely less pressure. Um, and so you could be wearing whatever you want and elk, you know, sometimes don't care, especially places like Rocky mountain. Um, it's super busy (laughs) and photographers are, you know, everywhere chasing around elk, but definitely out here in Utah, elk and mule deer get, get hunted pretty hard. So I'm, you know, I'm full camo. I'm, it's like, I'm hunting. It's like, I'm trying to get within 50, 30 yards, um, playing the wind right and being concealed and trying to, um, you know, get a shot off before they spook or hopefully they don't. And I can, you know, kind of spend some time with them. But typically if, if I'm not wearing camo and I'm chasing animals like elk or deer and not playing it, like I'm hunting, you know, stalking them and, and whatever else, then yeah, they, they'll spook for sure. (laughs) They don't want anything to do with me. It's funny you mentioned that, like when you're in the parks, I mean, that's one thing I've seen firsthand and it's like, there's always this contrast between what the image might convey and then what's actually happening behind that image. Oh yeah. Uh, And I just think it's Instagram versus reality. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like I've been to some, you know, some of the more famous spots to photograph and it's like the pictures you can get from that spot are unbelievable and then especially you go under certain lighting conditions but what you don't see is behind the camera there might be like 40 photographers all set up like jockeying for position like it it gets totally crazy man i know it's that's like the part that i don't like as much for sure i i definitely like being more (laughs) alone and like you know hiking solo um getting something that no one else is getting it's those moments are still cool. Like it's tough maybe getting grizzly bears anywhere other than Yellowstone or the Tetons. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes you'll have, you'll, you'll be in a line of photographers across the road that it's still a cool, it's still a cool moment, you know, but you're like, this guy next to me has the same shot and it just kind of takes the magic out of it, you know, a little bit for me. Um, so more times than not, I'm, I'm either in the backcountry myself or, you know, trying to, it's something more unique or just avoiding crowds like that. But you, you'll definitely see me in the crowds occasionally with different bears during springtime. If they have cubs, you know, it's just like this spring, there was a grizzly bear that had four cubs in Grand Teton national park, which is pretty like unheard of, you know, I mean, it happens, but it's super rare. So I'm, I'm getting a shot with a grizzly with four cubs in the same frame is pretty, is pretty unique. So like, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to join the crowd, (laughs) you know, I'm going to just be, you know, one of those one out of a hundred photographers trying to 
trying to get a cool shot of this bear with four cubs just because it's so unique you know yeah it's cool to hear though that that's not the majority of what you're doing yeah no there's there's definitely guys that are i guess you could say road hunters when it comes to photography you know just driving roads looking for off the side of the road critters to put their camera out of their window and shoot but that's kind of not my you know my style i guess yeah that's cool that uh picture you just referenced with the uh the grizz and the four cubs is i literally just saw this minutes before the podcast i was like cruising on your website and you have a 2021 wildlife calendar um, oh yeah and it looks like that's one of the images featured in that right yeah it is yeah i think it's like may or june month yeah but yeah i have it in there of uh of that same bear this spring yeah cool it was pretty but- cool she yeah she had her hand she had her hands full man with those four cubs they were so rambunctious and running everywhere it was it was really cool to watch actually it was really fun yeah this is uh not like a plug because like i said i just saw this minutes before the podcast but i'm legit gonna buy one of these calendars it's awesome you got bison (laughs) and cats and owls and moose and mountain goat and fox and the grizzly bear like it's it's some super cool imagery man yeah what's the just real quick if guys hear that what is the the website guys can go check out your work at yeah it's uh, Bowman Day Photo, and you spell my my first name. It's B E A U M O N, and then dayphoto.com. Awesome, cool. Um, well, yeah, man. Let's get back to mountain goats and that perfect segue that we then stepped away from uh, <laughs> to talk about a hunt from this fall. You went on a trip in the Tetons uh, in Teton yeah. National Park for goat management uh and just to give a little bit of context and we'll dive more i want to hear your context for how this came about and uh what you learned as part of the process but i knew a little bit about it because there was a similar hunt um up in the cascades earlier in the year where the national park service essentially was going to use hunters um to help cull the goat population up there and then separately here in the Tetons. It was a kind of a separate program, but similar idea. And the the hunt up in the Cascades is something that I had actually applied for as part of a group. Um, the application process was quite uh, in-depth for sure. And the yeah. qualifications that they were looking for was super high level. Um, I, I applied with a group of four other guys and I was for sure the weakest link. Like there was people that guys would know if they're listening to this podcast and we applied as a group and didn't get drawn and that's not to say anything but i think one thing that they looked at heavily for that hunt was uh like formal training and mountaineering and first aid and all that and some of us even though we had like good experience in the backcountry we were lacking on the formal side but who knows why we didn't yeah. get drawn that's not the point but that's just to give some context of uh, a unique opportunity that happened there uh, and some listeners of this podcast, I'm sure, maybe even applied for that and knew about it. For you in this Teton hunt, again, these are coal hunts that are put on by the National Park Service. Not something that there's a ton of history of them doing. Um, right. But for you, give us some background context. Because as part of someone participating in that, uh, you obviously went through the application process, but then one thing that I thought was cool about that hunt and I was personally looking forward to was just learning about the whole process. Like why were they choosing to use hunters? What were their goals and all that, but just kind of, yeah. Like for people who don't know anything about this hunt, like how did you stumble across it? What was it like applying for it? Uh, begin to lay all that out for us. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
so I guess kind of the history or the the background to the reason for this this hunt, this coal of the the bighorns and the tea or uh, the mountain goats and the Tetons, is is because of the bighorn sheep population that is native on that range. Um, so they've uh, you know they've done a number of studies on the sheep specifically, and they've they've kind of um, and we we learned all this basically in our in our full day orientation. <laughs> Um, once we, we got there before our hunt, it was like super extensive, like you said. Um, but we had this full day orientation, um, where they kind of walked us through kind of what they were needing us for, um, for this hunt. And they, they kind of didn't even, wouldn't allow us to even call it a hunt, right? They, they kind of shied away from using that term. Um, uh, but more of like a, a call of the herd, um, but yeah, these, these mountain goats, they introduced down on the Palisade range, which is like 80 miles south of the, of the Tetons in like the late 1950s, I believe, or something like that, or 1960s. Um, and it wasn't until about the, the 2000s that they, uh, a group migrated up into the Teton range. Um, and obviously the national park is in the business of preserving the natural resources of the land, you know, be it the water, the land, the plants, the animals. And so um, these goats present a threat, right, to the native bighorn population. And the number of bighorns on that Teton range is like a dozen, like maybe 20, 20 animals, um, which is wow. crazy. And so <clears throat> they've, they're obviously worried about disease transmission from the goats uh, to the bighorn sheep, as well as just the competition, um, just because they graze on the same, you know, alpine ridges, they winter in the same areas. Um, and those goats and sheep, in fact, they don't, they don't winter down in the valley. Um, they stay kind of on those same faces of the Teton range, which is wild because they get so much snow. Um, so it just, it just introduces a lot of hard variables for the bighorn sheep to, you know, to thrive with mountain goats in the area. So that's been, that's obviously a huge controversy, um, between the public and, you know, anyone, cause it is, it's hard to, you know, on, in a national park, see hunting or calling of any animal, uh, for, for some people, but it really was like a, it was cool learning during our full day orientation, just about the whole history and kind of the biology behind what the park has done. And they've done a ton of research and work um, in both of those, in, in both of those animals. And um, yeah, so they've, yeah, sorry, that, that history was maybe kind of long, but. Um, no, it's good, man. From, uh, from the park's perspective, back in February, they actually did an aerial uh, like sniper removal of goats. Um, and in one day they, they killed 38 goats on the Teton range and the governor, uh, of Wyoming just kind of had a fit and said, this isn't how we do things in Wyoming. And a lot of the public, uh, were upset at, at that, just, you know, maybe the nature of, I guess it's maybe less humane, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, than other, um, potential ways to eradicate the goats, but Ariel was proven super successful, but they've, they had a lot of backlash. And so they ended that operation like right away, only, only had one day of, um, 
sniper shooting out of a helicopter and they had to kind of turn to other other means which was hunting um having feet on the ground in the tetons um to to try to remove the goats obviously less effective um but hopefully you know get people involved who like me have a dream of hunting mountain goats (laughs) and yeah a dream of you know having that opportunity so it came about i um they didn't even really publicize it, which um, was kind of crazy. I have a good friend who lives up in Afton, Wyoming. Um, he he, uh, he used to, he still works for the park, but he used to be a park ranger. And so he knows all of the guys there at the park service. And he heard that they were doing this. Um, and he called me up and was like, man, this is, is you know obviously a super unique opportunity would you be interested and i was like absolutely um so he put us in there's you can similar to you i think mark you can uh apply as a team two to six people um so we uh, applied we had to provide a ton of information and then the application process was pretty pretty nuts like they similar to you they did background checks on us um Back, they had to contact the Utah Wildlife Management, um, the Division of Wildlife here in Utah, to see our records, and um, and then so I think in only like a twenty four hour period they got two hundred and forty teams that applied, um, which they and then they immediately like shut it off. So it was only um, they didn't expect that many people to even really know about it. It was kind of like a a more internal, not internal, but they didn't like, you know, write an article or say, Hey, on this day, everyone apply type of a deal. Yeah. So I was lucky enough just to know my friend who, who worked for the park. And that's mainly how, how I got that opportunity. Um, and so we ended up getting drawn out of that, those 240 teams, they only took like less than 70. Um, so we, we drew for that and it was, we had five, we had six people actually in our, in our group. And, um, yeah, we had to go up there. We had to pass a shooting test. Um, and we also had to shoot with copper bullets, which was interesting, Yeah, <clears throat> which kind of made, <laughs> made it difficult because kind of mid hunting season, you're like sh- changing up your, your round and having to sight in your gun. You know what I mean? It was just, mm-hmm. it was kind of crazy. So, and then it was super stressful. You had to hit, uh, eight inch target within an eight inch circle at 200 yards, um, three out of five times, but we, you know, we all passed and it was funny. My brother, he came along also. He was, he was the last to shoot over our group and his first, um, two missed. Oh no. Super low missed. And he's like, I think my scope is off. Like for sure. Like they were both right on top of each other. And, uh, so we were all like oh shoot like this next shot has to be in um so anyway he he kind of just aimed for the very top of the wow (laughs) was that did you guys find out was it like something truly off from traveling or what have you yeah it was it was off so we after he did just aim at the top and then got his next three in um and then we spent at the range there um just getting it dialed so it was it, it had gotten knocked off with like either traveling up there or something because we hmm. him and i had shot like that same week you know getting everything dialed 
Yeah. Was that, did they have you guys shooting from a bench or some sort of field position or what was the, yeah, we just shot prone on the ground. So we were, yeah, they just laid out mats for us and, you know, they didn't provide any, anything other than the mat. So we just, you know, set up on a backpack or if you had a bipod or something. Yeah. Yeah. The, the requirements for the Washington hunt that we applied for were similar. And I, I've spoken with some guys who did that hunt since then. And yeah, it was like that, that simple requirement of saying eight inches on 200 yards is like not too stringent, but at the same time, the pressure of the whole deal. And then for like a situation where your buddy misses yeah. one, like that, <laughs> that creates some pressure or that just got a lot harder, know, right? Just because yeah. of the tension of the moment. That's funny. Yeah. The Washington yeah. hunt, I'm curious to hear how it compared the, the hunt that we applied for. They, you know, they said how many, groups they would accept and yada yada and you would essentially be assigned um a time slot so they had like i think on that one it was three or four different blocks of time you know where it was like okay here's these five to eight days and then here's a separate chunk of five to eight days and um you would be assigned one of those and then also a specific area of the park was it similar for this hunt with you guys or was a lot going on at once and these different groups were spread out like how did they manage both time and location for these yeah. different groups that were participating yeah they did have a similar both time it was a five-day block of time um and then they had 10 different zones and so it, it was initially you had to apply um we you applied overall and then and then after you got accepted then they 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 kind of allotted you a time and then you if you said it didn't work like they could they could try to um kind of mix it around with other people but yeah it was the initial application and then they they had the times and zones and you could try to choose your time and zone but obviously there's other you know there's 70 other teams that are doing the same thing so it was a little bit of a a mess but we kind of landed on the time and zone that we were hoping which was lucky. Um, but I know for some people it didn't work out quite like that. So it was, it, they, they were trying to make it fit with everyone, but yeah, they, they did have, I can't remember how many weeks they, they did it. I think it was like, or how many five day time blocks. I think it was like five, five different time blocks or maybe six. And they had 10 zones um, during that, you know, that five days that, that they had hunters in going back to what you guys you know the history called the history of the initiative and the reasons for it and all that the, all the information you were given um throughout this process you mentioned they did the aerial removal and then got a lot of backlash especially from the governor of wyoming and um the public i'm sure in wyoming did they kind of clarify or talk about like it's one of those things where clearly this is national park service. This is, this is federal management. This is federal park, federal land, but then there's, you know, always the idea that wildlife is managed by the state. So I'm just curious, I don't know if they elaborated on that, but how those two intersected, um, because the state agencies have management plan, the rights to manage in general, um, the wildlife, even if that is on, you know, say, national forest which is federal land but this is kind of a a different instance where the national park service is stepping in on a national park did they talk about that at all 
Um, they didn't really know, at yeah. least as far as the state and the park. Um, I guess kind of during our orientation, how they, because yeah, we did we did talk through, um, obviously the, um, kind of the plan and the reasoning, and it I, I guess it just seemed or or they were alluding at they had as the national park service that jurisdiction to you know make make the calls on that i don't know because you know they kept saying like you know as a national park like we want to preserve what is natural um Mm -hmm. to you know the area um so i don't know if it falls under that you know if they if if they had they can make those decisions um based on their research and studies, um, within the park itself, or if they kind of coincide with the state also, but it made it seem like they kind of had that say, um, for in the park boundaries, at least. So I'm not sure though. Exactly. That's, that's a great point. Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah. I wouldn't expect you to be the legal expert. I just didn't know if that was addressed, you know? Yeah, no, that that would have been a, a great question there though, to ask him. Yeah. So getting back to you guys getting up there and kind of having the the orientation slash like certification stuff, like the shooting test and all that, what other things were you guys being run through, you know, before the hunt truly started, before you were given the green light to head out? Yeah, we had a lot of paperwork, um, <laughs> a lot of uh, just kind of those type of logistics. Um and some guys did have mountaineering equipment, you know, harnesses and ropes, um, which honestly the park was like, guys, be careful. Like, you know, don't, don't get yourself into sketchy terrain. That was like the biggest thing was mainly safety. Um, Cause the Tetons are just gnarly. Like it's, it really is just like a crazy range. Um, and there's so many climbing routes up there. Right. Um, but every year, every year the park has, people that slip and die, um, up there in the Tetons, like without a, without fail, there's, you know, every year, unfortunately, um, some accidents, but yeah, they, they walked us through, um, kind of the, the day-to-day logistics within, you know, cause we're essentially volunteers for the park. We're, um, we're considered employees of the park for those five days. Um, so they, yeah, we had to, they, they gave us a bunch of background on, um, on, uh, you know, what, when we encounter people, some people might be pretty upset at us, you know, some people might just be curious. Um, so they kind of gave us those talk tracks. Um, uh, but yeah, they, they did spend a lot of time just kind of on, on that history too. kind of, this is important what you guys are doing. Like we need hunters like you guys who are skilled and, you know, in the backcountry and in hunting, um, to try to help us, you know, eradicate these goats and, and everything. And it was, it was fascinating. Actually, we, uh, they, they kind of showed us this graph cause I, and maybe a lot of people have heard this, but like goats can carry pneumonia and if sheep get pneumonia, it like wipes out the whole herd. Um, which it happened here in Utah just two years ago on Animal Island. If anyone had followed that, they had to call the whole herd cause they found pneumonia among a couple individuals and they had to completely start over on that herd here in Utah, which, so they, they obviously are worried about something like that too. Um, and they, they've, they showed us this graph up on the screen, which was kind of a pie graph with 
four different sections. Um, and that pie graph, uh, it's, it was for pneumonia. So there's, there's four different pathogens that make up the pneumonia that, that can kill Bitcoin sheep. That's like, you know, a guarantee if, if the sheep start to have that, like they're in trouble, you know, and they've tested two of the four on the Teton range of those pathogens that make up pneumonia in the mountain goats. And, uh, and then just South in Alpine Canyon, which is, you know, just, just south of the Teton range, they've tested for three of the four pathogens. And then on the Palisades, the mountain goats have all four. So that's the risk. And they're just, you know, they're hoping to not, um, see all four of those pathogens and any of the goats on the Teton range. And so that's why this initiative has been, you know, now is the time to act before maybe it's too late for the Bitcoin sheep. Um, mm-hmm. so they gave us though, they gave us, uh, samples to test the mountain goats that we harvested. Um, they gave us these, uh, test kits. Um, we had to swab, you know, the nasal cavity on both sides as far up as we could and then put it in this uh, like test tube solution and, and seal it up as well as clip off uh, the tip of the ear of the mountain goat and, and then put that in a bag. And then we had to write all the details on it, you know, nanny um, or Billy. And then we had to mark the GPS location and put that on there. Um, So they, you know, they kind of gave us all the resources too to kind of be (laughs) biologists up on the hill a little bit just to gather gather samples which was kind of neat yeah that's cool man um so getting into the start of (laughs) you guys heading into the field um i don't know if i missed it when when did when were you guys taking off when were you heading to the field uh we were there um the 18th of september okay um that can't be right. Hold on. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. My, it's my, been a uh, long fall. Of a lot of fun. Pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was so, end of September though. End of September, okay. early October. I'm trying to remember exactly what the, the day was. Okay. No, it's helpful though. Did you, so you know the zone ahead of time. How was it like formulating that plan of like, call it, pretend this is not this culling effort, this national park program this is just you and your buddies heading on the hunt like is it full-on we're e-scouting we're you know doing research was the national park service stepping in and kind of guiding you to areas to focus on what was it like in terms of formulating a plan of all right we got the green light we're headed in where and how have we formulated this plan to go find goats yeah that that was the interesting part because i had never been like actually into the Teton range up any of those canyons, um, personally. So it was super new to me. Uh, the guy, obviously my buddy who lives up there, who was a national park service, um, ranger before he was familiar with the canyons. Um, so mainly relied a lot on him. I myself did a lot of just e-scouting on my own just to get familiar with our zone, you know, before going up in there. Um, and it, it's interesting too, the, the park has, has these trails and there's obviously a lot of traffic, you know, people who want to go hiking or backpacking also. Um, and they, they had, a or they have a zone to camp. You can't, you can't just camp anywhere. 
Um, so you have to actually, if you're backpacking in to stay overnight, you have to camp at designated sites. Um, and then in what they consider the back country, uh, which is like eight miles up into the actual Tetons. Um, so yeah, I didn't know any of that beforehand. So I, you know, was looking at backpacking in there and found out these, I guess, rules, if you want to call it for, for going into the back country of the park. And we had to still abide all those rules um, being, you know, even park service volunteers. Uh, so, yeah, we had to learn all that. And I just did e-scouting, basically looking at the terrain and being like, holy crap, this is insane. Like 5,000 feet elevation in a mile up this side. Uh, you know, it's like it was wild. I, But I didn't I didn't really know what to expect. Um, but once we got to our orientation, there was a a guy from the park service who he was like the backcountry guy. Um, so we chatted with him too about, you know, where have people seen goats in the couple groups before us. Um, and our zone was, was, I guess a zone that was known to have, or at least more frequent sightings of mountain goats, uh, in it. And so, um, you know, other zones are less accessible. Other zones don't have like an actual hiking trail in it. And in, and that's just in the bottom, right? In the bottom of the canyon. Um, but yeah, he he kind of guided us also a little bit on on where people have seen goats. Um, so yeah, I it was kind of a mixture of all that. A little bit of e-scouting mainly, not necessarily for, oh, this looks like goats would be here. It's just mainly getting familiar with the country we, we'd be in. Um, what, you know, where were certain coolars, um, where were certain, you know, canyons that we could go up just to see if there were goats in. So that's, that's kind of what we had to do, but it was, you know, until we got in there, it was, it's just so much different, obviously, but it was, uh, once we got in there, we're like, yeah, that's not accessible actually. Um, and <laughs> you know, it's just, it's crazy terrain. Yeah. Wow. So how, yeah, I mean, lead into the hunt, getting in that country spot and goats, or was that a challenge in the first days? I mean, tell us about it. Yeah. Yeah. So orientation was like all, all day. We were hoping to get out into the field that evening, um, to backpack in and stay, um, you know, backpack in to be up in our zone, but the orientation was, you know, all day. And so that evening we hurried and, and to where we could maybe spot on the front you know on that east facing front of the tetons um so we tried that we didn't see any goats our zone was actually in cascade canyon um so it's it's north of the grand and tiwanot peak and it's uh jenny lake is right is right there at the base so for us to get in our zone we would uh boat across the lake and then you know beach the boat on the other side of the lake and then start our hike. So that night we didn't see any goats. Uh, the next morning got up super early. And, um, as we were getting the boat and the gear all together, a couple of us were spotting across the lake, um, at, you know, first light or before the sun was up. And we actually spotted a nanny and kid that morning <clears throat> on the front. And so we were pretty stoked about that. And as we were um, heading across the lake, we were just keeping eyes on them and they, they went up in this cooler and, and disappeared out of sight from us. Um, 
And so when we, yeah, when we landed and, and got the, the boat docked on the other side of, of the beach, we, we hiked up to a spot that we could see to see to glass up where that nanny and kid went. And, uh, and also they, they kind of told us like target nannies, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's going to be a bigger uh, win than if you get a Billy, you know, kind of, if, mm-hmm. if, you've, if you've got a herd of a couple and there's a Billy and a couple of nannies or like go for the couple of nannies if you can first. Um, so nanny and kid was, you know, kind of our target quote unquote. <laughs> and so we were hoping to turn her up when we got to the other side. Um, but we could not find her again, just from spotting just below where she had, had gone up into some couloir up there. Um, and so we, we spent about an hour looking and we had to, we had to backpack those, that eight miles up to where we could actually, you know, drop our gear and set up tents for camp. Um, so two of us or two, two friends of ours in in the group stayed to try to make a play on that nanny and kid where they went. And then the rest of us went up the Canyon, um, to see if we could see more goats and then, and then get to our camping spot. Um, but we did, we did see one other goat that morning. Um, and it was a, it was a big Billy actually, but it was, man, it was so freaking high, like in the gnarliest stuff that we saw it and we were just like, like, you're lucky buddy. Cause that, <laughs> that there was no chance He's just safe get up there. Yeah. It was crazy. It was, uh, if you're familiar with Mount Tiwanot, he was literally like 200 yards off the top of Mount Tiwanot in the cliffs laying there. And just from where we were, it was like 4,500 feet elevation gain Jeez. in less than a mile. Like we were, it was just, it would be a prayer uh, to try to make us a, a play on him. But so we didn't even try to, to go after that goat. Just thinking of like being in that country and thinking of, and I don't, I don't know yet, like what, what shot opportunities existed. Um, but just thinking of being prepared to shoot. I mean, you talk about high angle shooting, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. mountain goat in the Tetons can introduce some opportunity for that. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We, there's definitely a lot of that going on. Like, yeah, we had, we were in this boulder field and it was like, you know, just a steep face in front of us. And one of the goats that we, we did get, and, and it, we actually didn't get it right here because <laughs> my buddy missed um, a few times <laughs> on this one goat. <laughs> um, but it was like a super high angle shot. He was resting up on a boulder in front of him um and standing you know on the other side of the boulder with his gun like pointed pointed straight up it was it was crazy but he he missed he missed three times on that go and it it went up this crazy uh shoot and out of sight and everyone was like oh man that's too bad and i'm like guys we can like let's go after and get that goat like we can you know scale up this we can go and traverse this and i think we should we would be in a lane so anyway it, it was crazy fun that that was one of our last days there um on that particular goat but we ended up anyway that was a it was a crazy story but we ended up getting up there and it was so steep but we we got that goat actually so i was the one who who shot that goat um towards the end of the trip 
mm. after after my friend had missed earlier when it was you know right on the front a little easier <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow how was it i mean did you personally i don't know like this is this this hunt is such a unique opportunity and i think having all the context of knowing why you're there and that being a different purpose than a normal hunt um thinking of even like being instructed to target um nannies for example knowing you're in a national park like there's so many different aspects to this hunt how did that play in your mind um how did you see this hunt compared to anything else i mean you like you said you've never hunted goats before so clearly the species are new but it's just a unique opportunity i'm just curious like how you yeah. felt about it how you looked at it because it's it's so different yeah man um it was honestly yeah it was i was very very excited but a part of me it was a little it was a little weird in the fact that you're you're told to just kill any goat you see right it almost just felt a little morbid um going into it you know you're like if i see a herd of like you know 10 goats it, it's just i mean it sounds like fun and crazy right you're just like picking them off um and that's kind of what i had in my head it was so much different than that it was so much harder there wasn't ever like a big group a big group of goats that we you know encountered um but yeah it was it was a little different for sure than any other hunt that i've done from that aspect and just you know, usually you're targeting, you know, a big male, you know, in this case, a Billy, um, and, but you're, you know, they're telling you go after the nanny and kids and you're like, Oh, that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of sad. Like I'm going to pop like a little newborn kid, you know, I mean, yeah. obviously they're like six months old at this point, but yeah, it, it was a little weird, a little different, but, um, understanding that purpose, I think was, was definitely cool. It was really cool to be a part of this initiative with the park, just in knowing kind of the impact um, that your efforts, you know, can have. The other thing that was hard too, which I didn't men mention earlier, and I don't know if the cascade hunt that you were almost a part of um, had the same, the same thing, but we weren't allowed to take any, any part of the animal other than the meat. So we couldn't take the, you know, the skull and the head or the, the high, the Cape. So that was another tough thing. Um, cause as hunters, we want to utilize as much as the, of the animal as possible. You know, you want to take the beautiful Cape and the horns and have that as a memento for your awesome memory. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, for sure. So that was hard too. just, you had to, we had to just leave that on the mountain, um, and just take the meat, which it was great that we could take the meat. Um, and obviously super grateful for that. Did they explain that at all? Um, the reasoning for that? And I, I mean, I'm jumping to an assumption and I know that can make yeah. you an ass, but um, part of my thought when I, cause I did see that. And part of my thought there was on one hand, they are encouraging you to target nannies and kids. And then the other hand, they're, giving hunters this opportunity who for many could be a once in a lifetime opportunity to kill a goat. And essentially I'm again, assuming the national park service is maybe thinking 
we're giving these hunters an opportunity for a quote, potential trophy hunt, um, you know, to right. kill a big billy. And so to essentially discourage that and to in, encourage slash enforce the hunters to target nannies and kids, that's part of the reason or maybe the reason they didn't want you to be able to take the hide or the head. And again, that's all assumption. But did they explain that at all? I mean, they did, but I, I feel like there was more to their explanation than what they gave us maybe, but yeah, they, they basically, um, told us cause, cause on national park, you, you aren't allowed to take any, uh, anything. Like if you find an elk shed, you know, you have to leave it there. Um, so it was, it's that same act, um, at play here. Um, and I don't know the name of that act that was passed, <clears throat> but it, it basically was that same law in the national park that you can't remove any any of that natural you know be it a deadhead or a, an elk shed that you find or whatever even a feather you know you, you have to leave it there <laughs> um so it was based on that but the meat they said like two two years ago there was another you know another act passed in conjunction with that first one where you're not allowed to take any of the resources off of the national park um, called the Dingle Act, which is a funny name, but the Dingle Act allows for um, for hunters, if there's a program like this, to salvage and take the meat um, off of the animal. So, yeah, they that, that was the reason that they told us, but I mean you know, I think it does come, come down mainly to that, you know, discourage the trophy hunting. And even from a PR side, like, why are you, why are you killing the mountain goats? It's just trophy hunting hunters going in there and killing the goats. And then they could say, well, they're not allowed to take any of the, animal. you know what I mean? They're not yeah. allowed to take the head. Yeah. And so it might kind of settle any sort of, um, backlash that they get from, from that side too, from like a PR standpoint. Yeah. I could uh, for sure see that. Yeah. Of like, no, this isn't a hunt. No, it's not trophy hunting. They're not allowed to take any of the animal. So, which is silly in my opinion. Uh, and so that was tough. <laughs> I mean, that was hard to leave like a beautiful cape on the mountain, you know, or hide and the horns. So, but yeah, I guess what do you do? It was still, you know, an awesome opportunity. The meat, mountain goat meat is honestly amazing. I'm not sure if you've had it, Mark, but yeah, it was it was quite the experience, but yeah, that, that was kind of tough too. Cause you do want to utilize the entire animal. You do want to, you know, take that off the mountain as, as an awesome memory of your experience. But yeah, we did have to leave that. So from a hunter to on that side, that was difficult and made it, made it definitely a different type of hunt or a different feeling of hunt too. And in, in that aspect, I mean, you touched on this before, but it's one thing that I've taken away from this is, it might like it might sound like a walk in the park as a hunter to go i'm given access to a national park and can kill anything like that might sound as you said <laughs> yeah. like you almost envision this opportunity of like grand numbers of animals and just you know rifles right. going off like crazy exactly yeah <clears throat> i know that especially with mountain goat and especially in this terrain that that wasn't the case and i you know the couple guys i've talked to from the cascade hunt like it was a very very difficult hunt um and opportunities weren't necessarily even easy to come by 
Um, how many goats did your group end up taking in your time in there? Yeah, our group of six, we ended up getting three goats actually. So okay. yeah, it's definitely different than what we envisioned for sure. Or no more difficult. Wow. Man, any, uh, any like particular story, particular lessons you learned from this? Like I could, I could ask you a million questions all day. We're already almost an hour into this conversation, but, uh, yeah, no one, one particular story. Um, gosh, yeah, I'm thinking of a couple, but I'll, I'll tell <laughs> one of, uh, that same one of, of my buddy missing and that goat going up and then us hiking back, you know, hiking up to, to get that one or try to, um, so yeah, this goat, we, uh, we had him fight like 500 yards bedded on this, on this, uh, this kind of outcropping cliff. And that's when my buddy missed and we got it all on film. It was crazy. He, he found out later or something. He, he hunted elk later, uh, up there in Wyoming that his rifle was shooting right. But I don't know. He, maybe that was just an excuse. I don't know, but, <laughs> um, so, but th there was a crazy cross crosswind across this canyon. Um, so he missed this goat and it went up this couloir. And I, um, you know, I kind of was like, guys, like, let's get this goat. And I wanted to get him, him that goat because he was, he's the buddy that kind of organized the whole thing, got us the local from there in Afton. Um, and so he hadn't shot a goat yet. And so it was like, you know, we got to get Justin, his goat. Um, he's the one that kind of put this all together for us. So we, uh, so I, I went hiking ahead to try to locate, locate this goat, um, to get Justin up on it. And so he was, he was slower than I was. I, I kind of just hooked it up this steep stuff and got, um, basically to, to the base of this super narrow and steep couloir that, you know, was just cliffy and rocky, but we, you could kind of navigate up, up it, but we were at the, I was at the very bottom of it and I couldn't see the goat and that's where the goat had ran up. And so, um, I'm like, man, I think I'm going to, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to climb up this couloir and try to find where this goat is at. And so I, I head up there. I'm like scaling some, some rocks. There's like a, some runoff coming down the middle of it. Um, and there's, uh, some patches of snow it. Oh, in fact, I guess I'll back up. We, uh, we backpacked up, like I was saying, like eight miles in, but there was a storm warning for, uh, the following afternoon. Um, so we basically spent a day and a half backpacking and then we came out cause it was going to be pretty gnarly snow. Um, which it, it ended up like snowing like six inches. So it like, wasn't crazy, but mm -hmm. all the weather reports was saying like above 9,000 feet was going to be like pretty nuts. And we're like, we don't want to be on any of the, any of this terrain, like with, you know, snow or ice or anything, just cause that gets dangerous. Uh, so we ended up getting one goat up there and then we hiked it out, hiked the meat out. And then we just did day trips across the lake for the rest of the time. Um, so anyway, uh, there was snow up there still a little bit from that, from that snow. And as I'm hiking up, uh, that, that couloir, 
I, man, I all of a sudden like just, just ahead of me above some of these cliffs that I'm, that I'm climbing up. I just see the top of, of that goat's back. And I'm like, I'm like probably 40 yards away from it at this point. And I'm just like, holy crap. Like I wasn't expecting it to be right here uh, at all. And so I just sat down and it just fed. It didn't know that I was there. And obviously I could have shot it right there, you know, but like I said, I was trying to get Justin, his goat. Um, so I, I call Justin um, and he's, you know, hoofing it up. And I just whispered, dude, like, I'm, I'm like 50 yards from this goat. Like, where are you? Are you, are you close? And he's like, yeah, I'm coming. And I'm like, okay. I'll, and it, if he was going to tell me like, dude, just shoot it. Like I would have shot it, but I'm like, <laughs> dude, I'll, I'll hold out for you. Like, I'll just keep an eye on it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm aiming at it through my, through my scope. Like it's, it's literally like 40 yards away and doesn't know I'm there. I'm, I'm pretty concealed. I'm only like seeing, you know, the top of its back and occasionally it's full body when it would, you know, walk over here and feed and it ended up bedding, bedding down right there. And so I, I maybe waited 25 or so minutes and, and Justin came up. I could see him at the very bottom of the cooler that I was in. And so he's, he's getting set up and he sees the goat, but I'm like right in line with him and the goat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so I'm just like waiting for him to like be ready for me to move out of the way (laughs) and to to not be in his lane at all, but I don't want to spook the goat. And anyways, I think the goat um, saw them from below and and then I see my I see my brother like waving his hand to me to like move to the side. And so I I get up and move to the side to where you know cliffs are are in between now them and me. Um and I see the goat like making its way up that cooler, like kind of hopping up stuff and moving fast. And I'm like, oh man, I don't know if this is gonna happen, like if he's gonna get the shot off. Um and from down from his angle down below, like he's limited in his field of view based on like the cliffs on the left and the right of the cooler, whereas I'm in the cooler and can see like basically everything, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm aiming at the go as it, as it's moving up the hill. And I'm like, like, is he going to shoot it? Does he not see it? Should I shoot it? Like, it was such a, it was such a crazy, like predicament being like, I don't want to shoot this goat out from under Justin, but I don't know if he's going to, he's going to get a shot. And so literally one of like the last um, kind of outcroppings on the top of this cool R before it kind of turns and the goat would be out of sight. The goat stepped up on that and turned around and looked and I'm aiming at him. And I'm like, if Justin doesn't shoot in the next like few seconds, like I'm going <laughs> to shoot. And then Justin shoots and I just see it. I just see the tough of hair fly and the goat roll and the goat rolled down. And I'm like, freak, yeah, like he he just popped and he got him, like he's down, you know, the goat rolled and everything. Um, and so like he hollers from down the canyon and I I go back into view and I'm like hollering back. And and so um it was super exciting. And then I <laughs> so I go hiking up to find his goat after a little bit, you know, um, while they're getting ready to come come up the cooler also. And as I'm hiking up there, um, I, all of a sudden I come over this 
this little right, like this little cliff. And there's a, there's a goat standing there like 20 yards away from me, looks at me and then starts running. And I just like, you know, I'm standing, I just put up my gun. It's super close. And, um, and I shoot this goat and I drop him right there. And I'm like, Holy crap, there's a second goat in this. Mm -hmm. Like that's wild. (laughs) Um, and so my goat's down and I'm thinking Justin goat, Justin's goat is just up higher from where this goat is at. And, uh, and so I go look at my goat. It's this beautiful coat, nanny, like just so pretty. Um, and, uh, kind of a younger nanny and, you know, I'm just like, thank you. Like, sorry. Like you guys are in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then I go hike up to try to find Justin's goat up higher where he had shot. And I'm, I'm looking and I'm not seeing it. And I keep hiking and I'm looking and then I get to where Justin shot, like where the goat was standing. And I'm like, dude, I don't see this goat anywhere. Like what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> I don't see blood. And I'm like, so confused. And then it sinks in. I'm like, dude, I think I shot shot, a mountain goat. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, dang it. Like that sucks for him. Like, so anyway, he comes up there and I'm like, and he sees. And so when I go hiking up, they find, they got to where his goat was. And then I come down and meet up with him. And I went even higher than he had shot. Like I like combed that whole area, making sure like there wasn't a goat somewhere. Uh, another goat somewhere you know dead that he had shot and i'm finally like dude i'm almost like i'm positive that that's the same goat so i get down there and there justin's like looking at that goat and i'm and he's like did you shoot a second goat and i'm like yeah i shot this one and he's like well this is mine and i'm like yeah i know i think we shot the same goat and he's like dude no way like my goat tumbled like a hundred yards down this couloir so and my brother was filming and it's crazy. The, the goat, the goat drops when he shoots and then you see it like roll like a hundred yards, like head over feet, like tumbling. It was crazy. And then it goes out of sight in the video. Um, but anyway, we basically were like, yeah, this is the same goat ultimately. <laughs> and we found on, on that goat that, that I had shot or that I had killed that Justin, like behind his neck, there was basically like, it looked just like a rip mark, you know, like someone had mm-hmm. just cut the top of um, this, I don't know. And so I guess he just, they have such thick, thick hair on them that yeah. it, I guess he just, he just blew like mostly hair and then skimmed the top of this goat's neck, which caused it, you know, which knocked it over. And then it tumbled, which is just crazy to think about. And that goat was still like on its feet running after I saw it. And so they're Jeez. just incredibly tough animals. But yeah, I mean, so, they're known for like even taking legit hits and being tough with it, you know, in terms of actually yeah. putting them down. Yeah. Yeah. It was insane. So Justin, like, couldn't believe it. Like, he's like, dude, I want like that thing rolled for like a hundred yards. And yeah, it was, it was wild. And, so we're we're standing there, um, like getting ready to to get this goat all cleaned out and do you know the samples and swab the nose and get the meat off and everything, and um, we hear uh, we hear something up above, like in this 
Steve Kular, and there was there was a there was a second goat up there that um, was like running across the top, and so um, it was yeah. So Justin didn't bring his rifle. I had my rifle, and my brother he left his rifle down at the bottom just because it was super sketchy coming up, and he hadn't shot a goat either and then my this other friend of ours um hadn't shot a goat so there was two people that hadn't shoot a, shot a goat my brother was just going to use my rifle because i had mine um so anyway we like we had to go up a little ways to get in this position and we're sitting there and um oh no actually oh to back up we um so when we're when we're up there, we see a nanny and two kids actually. So, like we see three goats um, up above us, and we're a little bit higher than my brother. And my brother's friend has his gun, and he's like, "I could shoot this goat." And it was like, "But let's let's wait for Coulter, my brother, um, so you guys can shoot at the same time, and you know, get a nanny and these two kids." And so he's waiting, he's aiming at this nanny. And I, I like call down to Colt. Like, I'm like, Colt, come on, like get up here. And he comes walking up and I'm like, where's your rifle? <laughs> like he doesn't, he doesn't have a rifle. And he's like, I thought you had yours. And I'm like, mine's down at my goat. <laughs> oh, and so gosh. I was like, no, dude, are you kidding me? And so anyway, he's now up there and uh, there's this nanny and two kids and after we figure out like, well, shoot, Coulter doesn't have a gun and now our buddy should shoot. We like look back and, and there's like no shot on this nanny and two kids. They're like, there's some kind of gnarly dead, um, dead trees that they're like all behind and they end up just going over this ridge. And we're just like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, yeah. dang it, like he should have shot, you know, and, and he didn't. Um, and so we're all like, okay, well, let's make, let's try to make a play on this nanny and kid. But it was like, eh, it was a pretty sketchy traverse over to him. And right after we're like thinking that my brother's like, oh, there's a, there's a goat. And that's that goat that was running a, fr on the top. Mm -hmm. And, um, so anyway, there was this other, yeah, there's this other goat that just started running toward the nanny and two kids. Um, and you know, my, my buddy's friend turned and gets on that goat and he ended up shooting that goat and man, it like, it was crazy to watch, but it like supermaned off of that ledge that he was running across and ended up tumbling like within like 10 yards of my goat. Wow. <laughs> so it ended up being both of them just like right there. Dang. So it was nuts. Yeah. And and then um, there's still that nanny and two kids and my brother, he, we, we grab his, my friend's gun or, you know, our buddy's gun after the, his goat had rolled like right next to mine. And they were like, we'll go start on these goats. Cause we're, we're pushing daylight at this point. And we just, we're in a crazy spot that we need to, we need to get out of, or, you know, at least make quick on time. And so we, yeah, my brother and I were like, okay, well, let's try to hike up, try to see if we can get an eye on this nanny and kid and two kids. 
And so we hike up higher and we don't see where they're at. Um, but they, yeah, like I said, they went over that, that ridge. Um, so we're just gaining elevation to see if we can see down to where they were, but we, we were hesitant to like actually go to that ridge they were on to look down just because between us and them, it was pretty gnarly, but we're like, I think it's doable. But ultimately we were just like, dude, like we're kind of running out of time and, you know, we'd love to get the meat off of these guys, but if it's probably going to just be a shoot, shoot and leave, but that's what we're here for. Like, so let's try it. But anyway, we started traversing that and just, we were like, man, we, we should help our two friends with the goats and just try to get off the mountain. Cause we you know, it's going to be dark here in a few hours. Mm-hmm. So we ended up not getting over to that Ridge that the nanny and two kids were on, um, which was hard. It was hard to like turn around and, and walk down for sure. So, but yeah, that, that's probably one of the crazier stories of the trip. Just that, yeah, man. how that all came together. And then there being two goats up there well five but yeah we we couldn't get to that nanny and two kids in time wow it has to be i mean seeing that one just superman and tumble and even the perspective of the one you ended up shooting watching that tumble and just those suckers get back on their feet it's just wild man dude it was insane i like like for a minute like justin couldn't believe that he's like, my goat has to be somewhere. And he went up and tried combing everything. And I'm like, dude, I, I, it's not up there. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he just couldn't believe it. He's like, dude, like he, you know, I hit him and he immediately just like dropped and rolled. And then just, you see him like ragdolling down the hill, like hundred yards. And you see it in the video. It's insane. Like I, after he shoots, I step out to where like I'm in view of, of them. And you see me like put my arms up and then you see the goat behind me up, up, like, you know, up high up behind me in the same frame, just like, boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was crazy to think. And it, it didn't even look hurt when I saw it. It wasn't limping. It like, it saw me and just started like, you know, just boom, like hopping up and running and going up the, the rocks when I shot him. So I was, yeah, for a while it was like, there has to be another goat up here, but they're just, it, it was the same one. It was crazy. Wow. Did you, uh, you mentioned the video footage. Are you guys going to be able to release that or what's the plan with that? Or is that something you're just hanging tight and have for your own, uh, memory's um, sake? Yeah, I, I would love to, I wanted to kind of compile a lot of our videos and some of the photos into maybe some YouTube video or something. Um, the park did like discourage us from posting any uh, like, I, I, I don't know, trophy shot photos, you know, and I don't know how they'd even really know, um, you know, that you got that on the Tetons or whatever, but yeah, I, I think the videos, I think there's nothing wrong with the videos though. It's not like, um, you know, it's, you're posting up next to it and holding it like the trophy shot is or anything, but yeah, we we've talked about getting all of our footage compiled together. So I think it's just a matter of us, of, of us doing it. So I, yeah, I'll let you know if, if we do, yeah, man. I, I'm planning on it hopefully. So. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Let me know. It was uh that was one thing with the cascade hunt. I think from what I've seen, 
even what's come of uh, the Teton hunt versus the Cascade hunt is they were they were pretty upfront with Cascade hunt. And I don't, again, I, it's been months since I looked at the application, but part of the application was abiding by, um, you know, restrictions essentially on what you would not say, not say, um, what you would not share about the hunt essentially. Like, I think it was even, they were more restrictive about any sort of media content, photos, videos, et cetera, out of that hunt than I think what is the case of the Teton hunt. Yeah, it sounds like it. I know, <clears throat> I know they, yeah, they, they did chat about it and said to be careful and, you know, not call it a hunt and stuff like that. But yeah, it sounds like it was more restrictive for that cascade hunt. Cause you know, we could still post about it and everything. And it wasn't like a, you know, you're not going to post any sort of thing. It was just like, you know, we discouraged this and this, but mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, um, so being a photographer, I did, I shot a lot on the trip, obviously, um, just kind of the whole process and the sampling and and everything. Um, and so I worked with this gal at the national park, um, in that aspect who, um, who basically it, I mean, it was all free work for the national park, right? Like I was considered an employee, um, so it wasn't like any of my work, you know, was sold to them and I was glad to do it, but, um, they, uh, they got a lot of my photos for, um, from that hunt just for different, you know, different, some of their marketing, not marketing, but, um, articles and things and outdoor life magazine did an article on the, on the hunt on the mountain goat Teton hunt. Mm. And, um, so the national park used, some of my photos for that, for that, um, article. Cool. Man. So I was, yeah, I was happy to do, do that. It was cool kind of working with them on that, on that side too, on the photography side, um, to, to try to tell a story, you know, yeah. the story of it. So awesome. Well, man, thanks for taking the time to chat, tell us about it and all that. Um, yeah, give us one more time, the website and then, you know, Instagram, any of that stuff where if listeners want to, connect with you, check out your work. Um, man, I'll say your, your photography is awesome. And I know our audience would love to check it out and just see the wildlife. So what's the best way to do that? Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks Mark. So, um, yeah, website again is bowmandayphoto.com. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've got an Instagram for just wildlife, which is Bode photography. And then I've got, um, kind of more recent, my hunting photography stuff, which is, um, Bowman Day photo. So anyway, kind of, kind of confusing. Bode photography for wildlife, Bowman Day photo for hunting photography. Cool. Yeah, man. We'll get links in the show description and uh, yeah, appreciate the time, man. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Appreciate you having me on. It was fun. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that one and thank you so much for tuning in. Again, you can contact us with any questions, comments, or feedback to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Consider sharing the show with a friend or leaving us a review, and we'd really appreciate that as well. And if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button so that you receive future episodes. We'll talk to you soon.